Welcome back to another installment of Christmas in Quarantine. It's Christmas Past's impromptu miniseries of indeterminate length. Join me for daily episodes until things start looking better on the COVID-19 crisis. And speaking of which, I do hope that you're staying safe and healthy, that you're practicing all of the common sense guidelines, and that you're treating the situation with the seriousness it deserves and taking your advice only from trained medical professionals. Now, during our time at home, a lot of us are watching more TV and movies. And for those of us with the Christmas spirit, it's only a matter of time before we start digging through YouTube and seeing what nostalgic treasures are there for the taking. Anyone who grew up in the 80s will be familiar with a toy known as the Wacky Wall Walkers. They were kind of a fad toy that you'd often find in toy stores or sometimes even as prizes in cereal boxes. They were sticky, and when you threw them against the wall, they would appear to crawl down. Well, in the 80s, it was also true that anything that was marginally popular would also have its own line of merchandise, maybe its own breakfast cereal, and sooner or later, a Saturday morning cartoon or a cartoon special. That happens to be the case with the Wacky Wall Walkers, believe it or not. They had their own Christmas special known as Deck the Halls with Wacky Walls, telling the story of some aliens who fall to Earth and need to find the real meaning of Christmas. It's a Christmas special as only the 80s could produce, and I needed a little bit of help untangling things, so I invited my friends Chris with a C and Chris with a K from the Christmas Time in the City podcast and Mike from Snow in Southtown to discuss the merits and demerits of this very silly 80s Christmas cartoon special. I'll come back at the end to say goodbye, but for now, please enjoy this conversation about Deck the Halls with Wacky Walls. I don't want to make assumptions about anyone's ages or anything like I, uh, my childhood was in the eighties, even some of the seventies, I'd say most of my childhood was during the eighties. And so this is definitely a special that would have been on my radar culturally, uh, even though I, I didn't remember it at all. I don't remember it ever having aired to the best of my knowledge, it aired only once. So did anyone else have any, uh, experience with this or did you discover it for the first time this week? Um, I don't remember. I I would have been two when this came out, so I don't remember it ever airing. Obviously, I've I used to get the, like the little toys and like cereal boxes and stuff, but I don't remember the the special at all. I would definitely remember it forever. Yeah, I don't remember it either. Um, but it, it's very iconic looking. Like it looks like things I watched. It feels like they put so much money. <laughs> I mean, at '80s level, they they put some uh, any any amount of money into that is too much money. I feel like. <laughs> So I remember these two coming in boxes of cereal. It was Fruit Loops, if I'm not mistaken. And there was even one that glowed in the dark. And that was like the holy grail of these wacky Ooh. wall walkers. Uh, and I'm not even sure if the ones that came in cereal boxes were uh, official on-brand wacky wall walkers. Because as you can imagine, if a fad toy comes out, there's going to be knockoffs all over the place. But I do very distinctly remember they would come in like hot pink and glow in the dark green. And they were usually like, uh, they look like an octopus, I, I think. Because uh, yeah. that's how they would walk down the walls. And then this is the 80s. So anything that was even remotely popular would have its own breakfast cereal, Saturday morning cartoon, a whole line of merchandise, maybe a special or two, probably even a song about it somewhere. I don't know if you guys remember Pac-Man Fever, but that was just the kind of thing that <laughs> happened in the 80s. Anything with any social currency at all basically got a blitz on almost every means of, of media and marketing and, and, and production. There was just no way to escape things like that. And so I guess it's it was just inevitable 
that this fad toy would get its own Christmas special, which is just something like I can't imagine anything like this happening today. I mean, there's no equivalent of something like this that could even possibly happen. I, I think that in, in this meme culture, it wouldn't surprise me if like a meme got their own like Christmas special or something like that. I feel like fad toys have kind of gone out in the way that memes have kind of come in. Like it's just like I can I can see like. Grumpy Cat. He had a Christmas special. Grumpy Cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Grumpy Cat did. We're going to have to do one on that, too. Because that <laughs> oh, is actually surprisingly, Sorry, surprisingly good, I thought. The character of Grumpy Cat, played by Aubrey Plaza, was, was not bad. Oh, yeah. There you go. And this one, so, so I remember... Idea, yeah. <laughs> I remember this as I was watching. I didn't know what I was getting into. I just clicked on the link. And then I, as I'm watching it, it was all coming back to me that this was something... I never would have... I never bought these things, but like you said, it was in the cereal boxes. I mean, I probably like fought my brother for them like treasure. You know, but like it was nothing I would ever like buy. Uh, but I, I remembered it as I was watching the show. The nostalgia came back. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple concept. And if I recall correctly, one of the... Um, occupational hazards, if you like, of using these wacky wall walkers. It's like you would get one or two walks before they would just pick up whatever dust was on your floor and on your walls and they'd become <laughs> unsticky. And I thought like you could wash them or rinse them off and they would retain their stickiness, but I, I yeah. don't I don't really think that is true. Uh, I, I think, think that's right. Well, that's what we tried. My character Stickum, he, uh, throughout the the, the the show he ended up getting things on him. I thought it would have been really funny if at one point they just like rinsed him off in warm water and let him sit for a few <laughs> minutes to, to dry. That was my biggest issue here. Is like I remember, like you said, you throw it at the wall once, and like every piece of dirt in your house would end up attached to this thing, yeah. and they're just strolling down the street like nothing. And I'm thinking all that dirt on the street. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's take it from the top. And this is you know again like it's the '80s. There's a fad toy. There's some writer's room where there's, you know, there's like cocaine somewhere. Like, okay, guys, <laughs> we got to put something together, right? Like, there is nothing about the toys, the wacky wall walkers, that suggests that they're aliens. I mean, you know, they're just sticky bug octopus looking things. But the premise we are given is that there is a planet somewhere that I guess it's um, a thousand light years away or something like that, because it takes them thousands of years to reach Earth, mm-hmm. where King Kling Kling. And his chief scientist have discovered a star uh, in their magic telescope, and they summon their crack team of the, the best investigators, one of whom is a baby somehow. A baby would qualify as being on the team of, of the, the best investigators. <laughs> that there is. And they go off on a mission to find out what this star is all about, right? And, oh, and, and this takes place in the year zero, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Conveniently. So, King Klingling sends for his investigation squad, and they all come on in. And there is a the leader of the group is named Wacky. And as I'm listening to these character voices, I'm I'm trying to like place. Wacky has a voice that sounds very similar to other um, cartoon characters, maybe almost a little like Charlie in the Box from uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. You know, he has that kind of like lilting, sing-songy voice that you, you can't quite place, but once you hear it, you recognize it as, oh yeah, I've heard that kind of cartoon voice before. A lot of the actors. Uh, there's like a Yogi Bear here. There's Eeyore. There's a lot of... Yes. I think that's what Chris was referring to when he said any money they spent, I assume, is for the voice talent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Because <laughs> it wasn't for the quality of animation. 
And it definitely wasn't for the quality of story. Although, as you go through and map this story out, there it is surprisingly well enough structured to hold together as a story. You know, like there were plenty of other things from that era where, you know, you had a toy like G.I. Joe or something like that, where, you know, th these things were just glorified commercials. And sadly, the version that we all watched on YouTube didn't have the commercial breaks. Um, or it had the yeah, breaks, but not the commercials. Great. I would imagine there was a lot of advertising for the Wacky Wall Walkers. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. That's how you're making your money off of it. Yeah, that was one thing I thought that was funny about, like the without skipping ahead too much, the like the um, the the story kind of led you to believe, like, well, uh, gifts aren't necessarily or toys aren't necessarily what Christmas is about. But if you want to buy some toys, <laughs> yeah, exactly. how about these sticky uh, 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 octopuses? <laughs> Which I guess would make yeah. sense because those things went for like a buck or two. And this kid that we'll get into all of that really wanted this like thousand dollar car. Oh, yeah. I thought the storyline, it was nice and like a tight storyline. Like you were saying, it's I not. I think they blew it. I'll, I'll yeah, get it. At the end, I'll talk about it. I short. think they blew the story. Okay, so let's, let's go through it. So the King Klingkling sends off this crack team of uh, exploration squad. And in the first act, and I tried to break this up into... Uh, the commercial breaks, but there were a couple times in the in the video that we all watched where there was like a fade out and a fade in, and I couldn't tell if that counted as a commercial break. But the fade out and fade in, nonetheless, would count as just like a section of the story, right? So um, the way that I have it broken up may not be the actual acts of the story, but as these guys get into their spaceship, we get a musical number, and I think there are two musical numbers like this. And the the purpose of this one is to introduce us to all of the characters, and so we have Wacky who is the leader of this. And then there's Springette, who I, I presume that means she's she's the girl character, kind of like Smurfette, um, who doesn't really have any major personality traits other than just, you know, she's like the, the female character. Um, but, you know, like Wacky's the leader. Crazy Legs has his personality. Big Blue, definitely, right? Like the way that he interacts with mm -hmm. the other characters suggests a lot about who he is. Um and I don't know, so there are, let's see, there's Wacky, there's Springette, there's Crazy Legs, Big Blue, Stick'em. He's the one who's, whose personality, um, or at least his qualities, sort of lend to a lot of the, the uh, comic parts of the special. And then there's Bouncing Baby Boo, who, as we'll get into, like basically just shows up and disappears for most of the episode. But all of those personalities, you'd imagine that they would mingle and mesh in a certain way. Um because, you know, Big Blue, like you said, Chris, is very much like an Eeyore character. He just, he doesn't want to be there. Everything he says is just kind of riffing off of what Wacky says. He's sort of like the, you know, the negative Nelly of the group. And, uh, yeah, Stickum is really just gets himself into sticky situations, <laughs> literally and figuratively, uh, throughout the story. But you'd imagine with all of those different kinds of personalities that they, those there'd be like lots of opportunity for them to clash and interact in a way that would move the story forward. But I didn't really find that. I don't know if you guys had the same read on that. Yeah. It didn't seem very uh, character driven. <laughs> it was basically, let's get to the storyline. Let's wrap it up and sell some toys. Yeah. It almost felt like, um, fat Albert's friends. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Like there are all these different types of people, like archetypes, and then but they all hang out and they all get together and somehow they're on this journey together. Yeah. 
first of all, I'm, I'm fascinated that you remember the traits of each one. Maybe you took notes, but I really, as you were saying it, mm-hmm. I kind of could remember it. And I just watched this today. But the main thing I noted was that we needed a song, like you said, to introduce the characters because this would have come on the air in 1983 and we have no idea what this is. Like, could you imagine Charlie Brown having a musical number in the beginning that introduces <laughs> to Linus and, right, and right. everybody? Right. <laughs> well, because also, like, uh, there may have been different shapes and colors for the wacky wall walkers, but there certainly weren't like these six or seven different models that all, you know, because they all have to be shaped the same to work the same way. So these were, you know, they were basically inventing new kinds of wacky wall walkers for the purpose of this and then giving them names and personality traits. And yeah, it just is interesting. You'd imagine there'd be one who was maybe a little, I don't know, overly curious or domineering or something like that so that their personalities would play off one another and drive the plot forward. Um, the only one that really does have some kind of character arc is is Daryl, who we're going to get to. He's not he's a child, not a wacky wall walker. But <laughs> so at the end of this first act, before the first commercial break, they they land uh, there is their spaceship makes it to Earth. And apparently they land on Christmas Eve. Um, and this whole story takes place over one day. Right. Like in the morning, they, they start trying to figure oh. things out. And by the evening uh, is when they've they figured it all out. And right. their mission is to come to Earth and just figure out what Christmas is. And this is interesting because usually this is one of your classic plots of a Christmas story, especially one for children. Children's Christmas plots tend to be someone needs to learn the true meaning of Christmas or Christmas itself is threatened and, and these uh, characters have to save Christmas, you know, from an evil witch or like something like that. Um and so in this case, it's a bunch of characters who need to learn the meaning of Christmas, but it's really Daryl who learns the meaning of Christmas. They're more on this fact-finding mission, but they have no context at all. And so when the second act begins, they're talking about how, oh my goodness, what a long trip that's been, but we made it, so here we are. So, like, I don't know, wh- where do we even start? Like, let's just walk around and see if we can find any clues. And does anyone recall the first thing they come in, into contact with? The house decorating? Yeah, yeah the guy exactly. decorating his house. <laughs> and so, I don't know, who wants to paint the picture? We see a guy who's decorating his house. It's yeah. a contest, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, it's a contest. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he, he has um, like a, a megaphone kind of thing yelling at someone. Like, it's not a friendly decorating type of thing. It seems like he's, you know angry and trying to get this thing because he wants to win a prize at the end of it. So it was all about Christmas. Um, it means prizes for decorations. That was like the first, what they thought Christmas was. Yeah. And so this is, the and I'll say this. Uh, yeah, go ahead, please. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't love like the, uh, necessarily the characters or whatever. And we, we kind of laughed about the animation, but I think they sort of nailed like the Christmassy feel of the animation. I'll say when they had like Christmas lights up and decorations, I did get sort of a, a, a warm Christmas feeling. You know, I think they nailed like those scenes, those pictures. Yeah. And I think that's what got me about this one. So I'm like a really easy uh, sell on anything that's Christmas plus 80s plus cartoon, right? Like I would feel nostalgic for it even if I hadn't seen it. And it's usually things like that. It's the combination of the imagery and the music that just creates a Christmassy feeling where, you know, that's usually enough for me. Last season, we did an episode like this where I had some other people on and we were discussing the Glow Friends Save Christmas and very similar, right? Where 
Um, different insofar as their glow friends, there were characters that already existed and they just put them into a dramatic situation, but they also just invented characters out of nothing and put them in a situation that just has nothing to do with your understanding of the toys. And I was the lone one in the group who was defending this. I'm like, this works. Like it actually does. Like as we go through this, you'll see, like it holds together. It's not, it's not a diamond, but it's not terrible either. And I feel like with this one, it's easy to look at it and just kind of dunk on it. And this, this was very hastily thrown together. The animation quality is very patchy and all that. But the way that the story unfolds, I think, actually kind of works because they're going through these different things where they're seeing different uh, possible explanations of what Christmas is. And in a lot of ways, what that's doing is shining a light on the ways that different people here on Earth actually do celebrate and understand Christmas. So the first thing he comes along is this, you know, stereotype of like a middle-aged man who wants to have the craziest Christmas display in the neighborhood so that he can have some sort of status. In this case, it's, it's winning a prize. And they look at it and they're like, well, that's what Christmas is. But then it makes you think, well, like that literally is what Christmas is for some people. Even. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so they're not wrong. They're just looking at it only through one angle of the prism. Well, and it's like the Jack uh, town meeting scene in, uh, in Nightmare Before Christmas where he's trying to use stockings and presents to explain it and they don't get it. You know, so it's yeah. that same kind of premise. Exactly. So that is their first uh, trial and error. And then I believe it is right after that that they decide to go uh, hide out because I think they didn't want to get discovered. And they they hear two children talking about how they're, they're going to go to the mall because uh, they want to get some toys. It's a Christmas sale. It's on sale. Yes. Oh, so that's the, so that's the other thing. So now they think, first they think Christmas is a contest, but they're like, oh, Christmas is a sale. Let's go buy one and then we can understand right. what Christmas is. And this is like, yeah. it's, it's cute, right? It's, it's dramatic irony. We know more, you know, the audience knows more than the characters <laughs> do. So we're sort of like watching them bumble through this. Uh, but at the same time, everything they're doing makes perfect sense, right? Like it's a very logical way to approach this. Yeah. They they only know the facts of what's given to them. So, exactly. you know, oh, Christmas sale, I buy Christmas. Like it seems pretty, <laughs> it makes sense logically to them that all of those things would be what Christmas is. Um, but I want to bring up something before we go further yeah. because I like the idea that they are going in disguise <laughs> in mm. costumes, but they're really just putting on a Santa coat. And even before that, the de- the guy decorating his house thought he was dressed up as an elf, which is crazy that this <laughs> alien would be, oh yeah, that's an elf costume. <laughs> Um, and then they wear a Santa coat to go to the mall to make it, you know, they're in disguise. Yeah. yeah it's very much like uh, uh, that character Roger on American Dad, where, you know, he's like an alien. But if he puts on a wig, people will accept him yeah. as a human. Um, <laughs> apparently, in, in cartoon logic, all you need is a mustache or a pair of glasses and you, your identity <laughs> is completely masked out. I love it. I loved all their costumes. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so luckily they found some costumes from the guy who was decorating his house. He just had some sp- mm-hmm. box of spare stuff. And they decide to follow these kids who are on their way to the mall. So they want to go and figure out what Christmas is. And this is where we, I think it's right around here that, um, do we, oh, we go to the mall before we go to a commercial break. And I think it's on the way there, or maybe it was on the way to the man's house, that Stickum gets himself stuck to something. And this will come up a couple of times, right? This is sort of like the one comedy piece that keeps coming up. Uh, and also ironic because they're all wacky wall walkers, but apparently only Stickum gets stuck to stuff by accident. <laughs> yeah, it should be equally sticky if they're trying to sell us the product. Mm. Yeah. 
And so the, all of his friends have to come to his aid and help him get unstuck. And you know, ha, 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 it happens over and over again. But so then they go to the mall. And this is where we pick up the, the B plot, which in a lot of ways is the, is the main plot. It's, it's Daryl, who's the one who has a transformation. We see that he's a spoiled brat. His friend is getting to buy a bunch of toys. This is sort of the seed that we're going to plant now because it's going to come back later. Uh, Daryl's friend is going to buy a bunch of toys, and then Daryl is very jealous of this. And he wants his parents to buy him everything, even though apparently he already has everything. And his father said, you know, well, what do you even want? And he, he doesn't know. He just knows he wants more than anybody else. So he looks around and sees a car that costs $1,000. He's like, that, that's what I want. And so I must have that, and I'm going to kick and scream if, if I can't have that. And then we go back to the A plot, which is the Wacky Wall Walkers. So they come to the mall, and they all just break up. Everyone goes off and does their own thing. And I think the first thing we see is that Crazy Legs tries to go get some food because he sees Christmas dinner. He thinks Christmas is something you can buy. So he goes up to a food counter. He's like, okay, just give me some Christmas. And the lady <laughs> said, like, well, what do you want? He's like, ah, that. And she says, okay, well, here's some tuna casserole. And so he's like, oh, okay, I guess you know, problem solved. We got myself some, some tuna casserole, so we, we figured Christmas out. And I think that brings us to the end of that first act. And so he was disappointed too. He was, you know, when he, when he tasted Christmas, it was, it wasn't. The yeah. Best. Well, tuna <laughs> casserole. Is... Kitchen. If they're going to, if someone asks you for a Christmas dinner, you're probably going to know at least some yeah. of the stuff they you want. You wouldn't suggest <laughs> the, tu the tuna. No, you wouldn't say tuna casserole is what Christmas is. Like if someone asks for Christmas dinner, you're, you're hooking them up a little bit more than that. This is very eighties. Cause like there's a shopping mall and there are casseroles, which I remember yeah, right. my mom would make a lot of casseroles and I, I, you could not force me to eat one no matter what. Does anyone even know what a tuna casserole is? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it has some kind of cream of mushroom soup in it because they all do, right? I used <laughs> plenty of different types of tuna casserole growing up. <laughs> in, in the 80s. In the 80s. <laughs> yep. What is the definition of a casserole? I don't know the definition. I guess it's... Uh... I, I think coming from as a professional... Oh, there you go. Come on, chef. What's what's the I would assume that the only definition of a casserole would be something that's cooked in a pan that doesn't have like a crust, possibly. Hmm. Oh, interesting. I, so it would be like, uh, but would it, so would a lasagna be a type of casserole? Absolutely, for sure. Hmm. But it, so a casserole is more like one of those one pot kind of dinners because, like, you can put like rice, chicken, blah blah blah. You put it in a casserole, and then it all comes out. Right. Is that the basic idea? Yeah. I think so yeah. Just like the whole dinner in one one go. Well, not even dinner, because there's always sides that are casseroles, too. All right, now I'm hungry, you guys. <laughs> you know, we're lucky. It was the 80s. We're lucky it wasn't some kind of jello mold substance. So. Oh, my mom was really big on those. Uh, not that, I think from the 60s is when you could get really gross That's with true, jello right? molds. That's when it would yeah, have, right, like, yeah. you know, you, you, I would bet my life that there is some kind of tuna jello mold recipe out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But but my mom would make ones that um, remember that those cans of of uh, fruit cocktail in heavy syrup. Mm -hmm. right? She'd dump a whole one of those into a Jello mold, and I, I just could not. You couldn't take me away from it. I love those. <laughs> that doesn't sound bad at that all. Sounds great. <laughs> it's not bad actually. <laughs> it's a really good idea. <laughs> so anyway, Crazy Legs has his disappointing Christmas dinner, and then that's when we have one of these fade outs. I don't know if it was a commercial break, but you know, then we start up again, and it's um a separate little storyline. Now we're following Wacky. And he seems to think that Christmas is something that grows on trees because he sees all the Christmas trees in the mall. 
Um, oh, no. Well, he sees the ornaments, right? So he sees Christmas ornaments. He's like, oh, those are those things grow on a tree. So that's what Christmas must be. Uh, and then we get to we follow uh, Crazy Legs or maybe it's one of the other characters who's sitting on Santa's lap. And we get this kind of like Abbott and Costello routine. And this is goes back to my earlier point about how we're kind of seeing Christmas through someone else's eyes, like normal people who celebrate it, trying to explain it to someone who doesn't get it. And in some ways, like you sort of see the different ways that people can focus on what Christmas is. But then it also kind of surfaces the absurdities of Christmas somehow, you know, where this Santa is saying, well, we put things in stockings. And, you know, whichever character it was is like, well, wh like, why would you do that? Like, how do you walk? And then I forget what some of the other examples were, but he's just trying to explain what Christmas is. And it's just making no sense to this character at all. It was a bunch. Yeah, it went, it went on for a little while. I was starting to kind of get tired of it, to be honest. But, yeah, I was like, it was like <laughs> stalking. Yeah, and I, and I was having nightmares. It was just going to keep going on and on. I was like, a star, an ornament, you know, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But it's interesting because at the end, when they all figure out what Christmas is, the way that they come to understand it is surprising. So we're going to get there. Like the way that they articulate what they think Christmas is uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> right. I, it down. I love it so much. <laughs> it kind of gets me thinking, like, how would I describe what, what is Christmas to someone? Like if an alien came down and said, Brian, what is Christmas? Like, where would you even begin? What would be the first thing you told somebody? Well, but the thing is, remember that they came because of the star, and they even keep asking about the star, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you've got Charlie Brown on TV where they quote from the Bible, mm -hmm. and so if this if this show is going to start talking about the star, and they even go, oh, about, what, 2,000 years ago, give or take, or whatever, right? So it's like, I, I'm expecting for them to eventually tell the Christmas story, and then, the, the, I, I guess, because I mean, it started with the star, but then they just skirt around it and never really answer that question, right? Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's almost very corporate of them, you know? Right. Um, corporations aren't going to really talk about religion. Well, that's uh, fine, but don't don't start with the star. Like, make yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make a sense. Christmas tree or something, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I know that the, the network people did not want the Charlie Brown special to include um, uh, the, the Bible verses. I think well, that was like 18 years earlier by that point, yeah. you know, so... But they're I now, the either. only major special that ever did that. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Coca-Cola was the original sponsor for that. And they may have had something to do with, um, like, not wanting those, the Bible verse passage in the special. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, at the end of this act, for no apparent reason, Baby Boo just wanders off. It's just <laughs> like, okay. Uh, I'm going to go out the exit and just keep going. And then and this doesn't really lend to any drama later on. There's no like, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> our spaceship can't leave until baby. It's just like baby yeah. just wanders off. And it's like, OK, well, I guess we'll figure out. They were going to leave him. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, he's gone. We'll just <laughs> guess we got to go. <laughs> it, it may be a baby Yoda situation where he's actually very old. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <You're not> just... <laughs> but his speech That's is true. very underdeveloped. He, he talks in indecipherable <laughs> baby talk. Well, that's his English. Maybe you don't know this is a native language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's their language. <laughs> so then, now we're getting to about the midpoint, and I think this is another commercial break. And so the, the crew that's still in the picture uh, reconvenes in the middle of the mall to share their theories about what Christmas is. And it's kind of like that old fable where five blind men are touching different parts of the elephant and then trying to describe the elephant. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, it's like long, like a snake, you know, because he was touching the trunk. So they're, they're all coming back to share their theories about what it is. And, you know, we know none of them has have it correct, but they're still doing that anyway. And then all of a sudden, 
they notice that baby boo is missing. And this is really <laughs> the only part where it becomes like a potential issue. They're like, oh, where is baby Bo or baby boo? Like, oh, I don't know. Um, we'll have to figure that out or something. But then we have this major plot twist where Wacky loses his disguise uh, because Stickum got stuck again. So this is the one part where it really, you know, Stickum getting stuck becomes a problem. Suddenly, in the course of unsticking Stickum, Wacky loses his disguise. And so now he's got a problem on his hands and he has to go hide uh, undisguised. <laughs> and so he says, OK, well, I'm going to think I'm a toy. Which, you know, back to Chris, your earlier point, this guy uh, decorating his house saw Wacky and thought, oh, you're an elf. But then undisguised in a toy store, people would just assume that he's merchandise that you can buy. <laughs> yeah. I think it had to do with his uh, his very just like subtle stance on the, on the counter as well. <laughs> that spot stance. <laughs> so then Daryl's parents see it and like, okay, we're not going to get you that $1,000 car, but we will buy you this thing. And so we don't actually see any of this. We see the other characters looking into the toy store, seeing Wacky getting boxed. So we don't see any of the, like, how did this happen? Like, how did his parents <laughs> grab him off the shelf and bring him up to the register and pay? Like, you know, there was no, like, price check on he? this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They weren't None surprised that. that he felt like a living being. It's like... <laughs> Imagine, like, watching, like, your fearless leader who sent you, like, across the universe with get boxed up while <laughs> <laughs> you're watching through a window. Like, uh-oh. First the baby, now he's gone. Or even how they, uh, how would you get a sticky thing like that into a box? Apparently that was not an issue. <laughs> this also kind of felt like the, uh, the year without a Santa Claus, you know, where the elves come down and then they mistake the, uh, the reindeer for a dog, right? And nothing gets sent to the pound and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, kind of, it kind of had that feel to it where it's like, come on, you know what you're looking at, right? <laughs> it's not a dog. So now this is, um, you'd imagine like the, the crisis point in the story, but it, it's kind of not it, we, that we get there later on. But this is like a major plot. It takes the, the story in a whole different direction because now the A and B plots are joined, right? Like now the Wacky Wall Walkers and Daryl's stories have become one. And I think it is, which character was it? Um, the one who goes off to look for Baby Boo, Crazy Legs, says, okay, I'll go look for Baby Boo and you guys go after Wacky. And so that's what happens next, right? Everyone gets rid of their costumes and we follow the, the crew that's looking for Wacky. So they go to their house, they slide down the chimney, and this is just as Daryl is disobeying his parents' orders not to open anything because it's still Christmas Eve. Uh, but he opens the box and discovers Wacky inside, just as he also discovers his friends coming to look for him. And all of a sudden he realizes like, you know, okay, something's not right here we have to go hide in my hideout. And so they go into his little clubhouse and back. So did you guys ever remember those uh, honeycomb cereal commercials? Mm-hmm. With like the honeycomb hideout? Yes. I don't remember that. Oh, you don't really? There was like, there was one with Andre the Giant. That was like how every commercial went where these kids would always go to the honeycomb hideout. That's what this reminded me of for some reason. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal. Like I remember Monster Squad, you know, and, and certain movies, but... I don't yeah, remember that's the so bad. Mm. That's a great movie. <laughs> I don't know if I ever saw that one. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, yeah the hideout idea was, was prevalent. Yeah. Did any of you guys ever had like forts or hideouts when you were growing up? Oh, uh, yeah. I used to go into the woods a lot and we would build um, like random forts and stuff out of branches. <laughs> 
Yeah. Why is it that like all kids seem that's a natural behavior for children is to want to build forts? And I, I, there's got to be like some it's a universal trait. And I, I really can't imagine why that might be true. That's true. Like like the, the cave people in us. Yeah. <laughs> or just like just in case our parents state. sort of act up, we can split. Plan B. I know we had so many of those when I grew up in a house that was up against some woods and so we would go out and build forts. And somehow we always had building materials. Like our garage just usually had like plywood and two by fours. So we actually built some pretty elaborate ones. Wow. Yeah. And we That's grew awesome. up in an area where there was a lot of snow. So we would build like igloos. I don't know if you guys had snow growing up, but we'd build these igloos and then take out the garden hose and spray them with water so that at night they would freeze into like basically solid ice. And they would, they would just last for like, you know, even after all the other snow melted, we'd still have an igloo. Wow. That's so great. <laughs> I did not I have snow. I would have loved that. Snow. Yeah. Okay, so now we pick up the story again where most of the characters, except Crazy Legs and Baby Boo, are in Daryl's hideout. And Daryl is just, he's going to exploit this situation because he's giving his version of what Christmas is, right? So they say, okay, look, we're here because we're trying to figure out Christmas. And he's like, all right, I'll tell you what Christmas is. Christmas is a time where your parents just have to get you whatever you want if you're a kid. Like, that's it. There's nothing else you need to know about that. And I'll tell you what, I know what I want, and my parents aren't going to get it for me. So if you guys don't help me get what I want, I'm going to expose you. Uh, so he's basically threatening them to do his bidding so that he can get what he wants. And what was he? He said he's going to call the Air Force or something like that and have them deported. Or, yeah, some, I don't know what some the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then what, what Daryl's plan is, is that he needs to raise $1,000, which does not really fit in with like the spoiled brat mentality. Like if a kid doesn't get what he wants or he's basically turns entrepreneurial to get enough money to buy what he wants, doesn't really quite fit with his character, but you know, that, that's his plan. Well, but he gets them, he gets them to do the work. And so even you're right. Cause even the neighbors say, well, I've never seen him work before, but yeah. he's not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> So he um, he gets them. He he goes around. I guess he he started a business where he says, "I'll cut down a tree and and decorate it for Christmas," but then he just sort of sits around and has the wall walkers do the work for him. And apparently, uh, so then we go into a, a montage, which is you know any '80s movie or or special is going to have a musical montage where they just show the characters doing their thing. And again, the story takes place over one day. So we're, I guess we're to believe that within just a couple hours, they just do enough of this <laughs> to raise $1,000. Okay. Yeah. And we get a great song, Teamwork. Yeah. With the lyrics <laughs> that say, if you've got a tree to trim or a race you want to win, you can trim it. You can win it if everybody tries. Those well, are the lyrics. I did not. That's a, those are pretty inspiring words, actually. <laughs> if you got a tree to trim. Well, I liked also message. how they only ever took the tops of the trees. Yes. They went to extra tall trees. But it's a stark contrast to the first musical number, the one where they introduce everyone, because it is almost like just regular standard prose set to music. I don't know if you guys remember the words, but it's like they're the wall walkers and they're coming to earth and they're going to try to find out what Christmas is. Like it was, they're telling the story in the most <laughs> literal and least right. catchy way possible. And here they come and they were going in their spaceship. And then this one is a bit more of a, yeah, like a, a message about teamwork and togetherness and all of that. So now it's evening. 
the crew is exhausted. And this, I feel like, is the crisis point, right? Like there's that moment about two thirds or three quarters of the way through any story where it just looks like all hope is lost. Because these guys got roped in under the threat of exposure to do this kid's work for him. And now it's like the end of the day and it looks like they might not really find out what Christmas is after all. And so... And he's uh, rushing them to get to the store to get the car because now he's raised a thousand bucks. So he really doesn't care about their problem anymore. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And yeah, everyone's really tired. Uh, and then out of nowhere, Crazy Leg shows up. So he was out looking for baby boo. This is like a deus ex machina kind of moment where at, at the critical moment, Crazy Legs comes out of nowhere. It says, guys, I, I figured it out. Like I was looking for baby boo. Didn't find him, but I did find Christmas. So everybody come with me. Um, and then I'm not really sure. I don't think we have any notion at all of like where this story is taking place other than just, you know, generic town city. in America. Just yeah, yeah city. There's even a, a store, I think it was called City Pharmacy. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> but, but I just you know where you were. <laughs> like, like a block down the road from City Pharmacy is an orphanage, which <laughs> even that, like um, there's another special that came out around this time called The Cabbage Patch Kids First Christmas. And I think that takes place. There's an orphanage in that too. Um, it just seems like something that shows up in a lot of Christmas stories and maybe a lot of 80 stories, but like, like is there an like is an orphanage like an, an actual place? Like if you look at the yellow pages, would you find an orphanage? Is that a, an actual building you can go to? Is just this place where kids live? Or I don't I know. Think they're just like threats by parents. Like oh, we'll send you to the orphanage if you don't cooperate. Like I don't know if I've ever seen an orphanage before. Yeah, not advertised like that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I would. I just can't imagine where one might even find an orphanage. It sounds like something that was in a lot of 19th century stories. You know, a lot of like Dickensian stories would feature orphanages sure. because things like that would exist back then as would like sanitariums and places like that. You know, there's just, I feel like they don't exist anymore, but they still show up in stories like this. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they go to the orphanage and I think what they, they do is they're looking in the window and they're seeing, um, this is where they learn the, the true meaning of Christmas. And well, Daryl's friend brings the, uh, the presents. Yes. So this is where all the plots kind of converge, right? right? At the, at the, at the, um, the climax point where Daryl has his resolution and the, the wacky wall walkers learn the true meaning of Christmas. And they learn it all through watching the scene in the orphanage where someone's reading a story to these children. And then he sees Daryl's friend comes in to deliver all of these presents. And so earlier we saw Daryl's friend getting all these presents and that made Daryl jealous. But come to find out he was buying them all so that he could donate them to these kids who didn't have anything. And I think and the story that was she was reading was about the star. So they were finding out finally what the star was about. Yes. And then also wasn't there... Um, Oh, so then suddenly the, the person who runs the orphanage, I don't know if there's a name for that job title, goes out to the mailbox and comes back with just like an envelope stuffed with cash, right? Like $1,000 to be exact. So yeah. just, you know, in that moment, she Darryl, pulls the money out. It's a stack of bills. And she's like, $1,000. <laughs> she counted in the hall first. <laughs> like, Ooh. And so then they say, okay, well, why don't we use our, our wall walking powers, right? We're going to walk up the walls and we're going to see what's going on upstairs. And I think that's where we see the story about the star, 
So they're all looking in and they hear the story about the star and then the crew finally gets it. And again, the, this we get a very sanitized version of the star. Like, I think right. we start to hear the, the woman reading the story, say a few lines of it, then it sort of cuts away. So we don't really hear any <laughs> specifics. And then the crew finally gets it and they say, oh, Christmas is a celebration of something that happened a long time ago. <laughs> it's very sensitive. So yeah. that, that is like... <laughs> That's the best, like, last line of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) That is, like, the most generic, because they're just saying, oh, it's a thing about a thing that people Mm -hmm. like to do. And that's the true meaning of Christmas. Any holiday. Any holiday at all. Literally. (laughs) Love it. And so then that takes us to the end of of Act 6. Baby Boo is still missing, so that's going to be our little tag at the end, right? That one little piece we need to resolve. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we get, uh, Daryl's story cleans up finally where he has, has fully transformed. He gets it now. He wants to donate some of his toys to the orphanage, uh, because he has enough, all right. He, that one experience was, uh, I guess, profound enough for him. Donates all of his money. And then the Walmart, His dad like faints. His dad like passes out at the mere thought of it, you know? Yeah, his eyes become like bullseyes or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he can't believe what he's seeing. And then the wall walkers are prepared to be like, all right, I mean, I guess we never found baby boo, but we got to get we got to get back to our planet. So, oh, so we'll see how that goes. Leave behind. But then they go back to the rocket and it turns out that baby boo has been there all along decorating for Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it all ties up. <laughs> It ties up pretty nicely because now not only have they learned what Christmas is, but they are uh, apparently about to celebrate their first one together. And uh, the last lines of the song literally say, they had to find out what that star was about, and now they know what Christmas is. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that, and maybe it inspired you to check out that special. Look at the show notes for this episode for a YouTube link. And also check out the show notes for links to the Christmas Time in the City podcast and Snow in Southtown. Thanks again to Chris with a C, Chris with a K, and Mike for joining me on today's episode. Tomorrow I'll be back with something completely different, and until then let me remind you as always that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. You can always drop me a line at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't yet joined the private Christmas Past Facebook group, what are you waiting for? Maybe today's the day you'll take the plunge and join the Christmas Past family. And if you're enjoying these daily episodes and the Christmas cheer they bring you during these uncertain times, I have a feeling you have friends or family in your life who could also use a little Christmas cheer. So why not help more people discover this show? It's as simple as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are both quick and painless ways to show support, and they really do make a big difference. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll even send you an official Christmas Past sticker, and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. And you can get in touch with me for details about that. Until we meet again tomorrow, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.